This need for family. This need for provision. Is he going to do it in Boaz or is he going to do it in this other dude? So we're ready. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Boaz went to the town gate and he took a seat there. And just then, the family redeemer, this kinsman redeemer he mentioned, came by. And so, you see, midway through this verse, there's a theme that we've mentioned over and over again. This kinsman redeemer, this family redeemer, this person. God had set up this law for His people so that in disastrous circumstances, when, when life fell apart, when, when families were separated by death, and the nearest kin would be able to go in and purchase to buy back, to redeem the property of their dead kinsmen, and in doing so would, would begin providing for the family left behind. So they would, they would buy up the assets to protect those so that the family line would continue in some sort of stable form or fashion. Because women had no property rights at this time, which is why Naomi and Ruth are in the shape that they're in here. And so only the nearest male relative could do this, could buy this back. And this is serious. This was a serious thing. If we jump back in time a little bit to Deuteronomy and see where God installed this in Deuteronomy 25 and verse 8, God's law says, if, if he persists, if this man persists, his kinsman redeemer persists and says, no, I don't want to marry her, then she must approach him in view of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, and spit in his face. She will then respond, thus may it be done to any man who does not maintain his brother's family line. And so his family name will be referred to in Israel as the family of the one whose sandal was removed. I want to, can you get that engraved on one of them wooden plaques at Silver Dollar City? I mean, can you imagine hanging that on your front porch as everybody walks up to your house and, whoa, where are we? We're not at the, the Joneses' house. We're not at the Ashbury's house. We're at the house of the one whose sandal was removed. So we know what that means. So this is pretty serious. It is honorable to provide for your family, to, to provide and to, to keep the land in your family as well as take care of the name, maintain the name of your family. But it's not assumed. It was not assumed, just like any of God's laws and commandments, it's not assumed that people who say they follow God follow all of His commandments. It's not assumed. And so, not everyone in Israel followed God's laws. And so remember, this is the time, as we saw at the beginning, this is the time where Scripture says, the time of the judges, when everyone was doing what they thought was right, what they saw right in their own minds. Everybody's doing what they feel like they need to do. So again, it wasn't assumed that people were going to take care of their families like this. So we come here to Ruth chapter 4, and we have this picture of a kinsman redeemer, somebody who, who should be obligated to do this. But Boaz has said there's a nearer adult male relative in front of me who has the right to purchase this land, who has the, the right to, to take in this family. And so Boaz goes to the town gate. And this was in this time and place, this is where all the public business happened. There wasn't secret meetings. There weren't, you know, separate buildings for people to have, you know, legal transactions. And all. It was all done in the middle of town. So anybody could hear and sometimes even participate in the, in the city business. And so we're about to see business kind of matters take place here. And so just like in Ruth chapter 2, Scripture says it just so happens, coincidentally, 
You know, wink, wink. The, the very man we need to find comes walking along when Boaz gets to the town gate. And we already know that nothing is coincidence when God is involved. And so it says here, Boaz called out to him, Come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Now, it's very interesting. He doesn't mention the guy's name here in, in, in Scripture. Boaz knows the guy's name. They're family. He knows his name. He's, he's the near relative here. And the narrator probably knows his name. But here's the deal. Instead, we've got this Hebrew idiom that is used here in this writing, which basically, it would be like us saying, hey, so-and-so, come here a second. So that's basically what, what he's saying here. And the point is, to cast a light, that this guy is fairly insignificant. And so we don't we need to get wrapped up in this fella. He's not even significant enough to be called by name. Hey, yo, dude, come here a second. So that's, that's the picture we need to get here. The narrator is telling us that we shouldn't really care who this guy is. And so Boaz chose ten of the village leaders and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. And then Boaz said to the guardian, Naomi, who has returned from the region of Moab, is selling the portion of land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want to buy the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away, because I am next in line to redeem it after you. And the man replied, yeah, all right, I'll redeem it. So you, the picture here, you've got ten elders, ten city elders here, who are surrounding both of these guys. And likely you've got a crowd coming around, because everybody wants to know, hey, yo, what's going on at the gate? So they see this business starting to happen, and they just kind of, you know, wander over, and everybody's listening, and as some people walk by... They, they see something official is about to take place. And so by the end of the scene, you've probably got a, you know, a little crowd that has grown here watching and listening what's going on. And Boaz gives this guy an offer you can't refuse. And so he says, you know, why you want to marry her and, and, and all this property is yours. Everything she has is yours. And so we're separated from this time and culture in so many ways. But what has likely happened is that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, sold his property to the family when they moved to Moab. You wouldn't just walk off and leave your land. You would entrust it to someone else, likely for a price. Take care of my land. And so basically, they're holding your land for a sum of money. And so now he and his sons would have had rights when they returned to buy back, redeem this land. But what has happened is they're now dead. And so Naomi technically... This is her land. But the problem here is she needs, being a woman in this time, she needs a kinsman redeemer. She's got to have a man that will buy back the land on her behalf. And so to take care of the land and to take care of her. And so Boaz says, look, man, you're the nearest relative to do this. And here's a, here's a great deal with good land that you, you know, can be passed down to the family. But the catch is you've got to take Naomi and care for her. And so the guy's like, like, I'll do that. Naomi's, yeah, she's a good lady. She, you know, good reputation. It's Elimelech. I'm, you know, I remember how they were at family dinners. Everything's good. I'll do that. And so we hear this, and now our heart sinks. It's like, oh, no. Man. And think about what if Ruth and Naomi had, had snuck up? What if they're in this crowd and they're hearing this? Their hearts and minds are set on Boaz, you know? And now they hear this guy, yeah, I'll do this. It's like, oh, man. You think she's bitter now? 
Boaz, what are you doing? We could have kept all this undercover here. And we could have just gone about life. And who's going to say anything? But in reality, Boaz is setting the guy up. And I love this. In verse 5, Boaz told him, Yeah, good, good, good. Of course. <clears throat> Hang on a second. Your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth. You know, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. So he's like, oh, by the way, fine print. There's one small detail here before we sign. See, if you agree to Naomi, you agree to Ruth. And by Ruth, who is still childbearing age, you must produce an offspring. That's your commitment. And that offspring will inherit the land. Why? Because that's God's law. And so now the land he's about to purchase, the land he was thinking about, he might have envisioned passing down to, to his sons, they're not going to get any of that. Because if he accepts this offer, all that's going to be passed down to his other son who is expected to be born of Ruth, the Moabite. And so, oh yeah, Ruth the Moabite here. And Boaz knew exactly what he was doing when he reeled this guy in and he laid this offer on the table. So the guy says, yeah, okay, I can't do it. You know, <laughs> I can't redeem it because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land, I can't do it. And so this is the moment we've been waiting for, the entire book here. What, what were their two greatest needs? They needed food and they needed family. And so early on we saw they were provided for food. And now they needed a provider. And so this is where the, the orchestral music begins to swell and everybody is, is, is watching Mr. So-and-so walk away into the, to the darkness here and the scene unfolds. And so now in those days, verse 7, now in those days it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. And so I can imagine Boaz beaming from ear to ear as he realizes, we did it. This is settled here. And right in the middle of all this crowd, these witnesses, it's like a, it's like a Rocky movie when Rocky wins. You know, and the crowd goes wild and then there's this roar and applause. That's kind of the, that's the mental picture here that's going on. He says, buy it yourself. And he gives him the sandal. And he walks away. And all the witnesses around. Everybody saw it. Everybody heard it. No one can deny it. And so then Boaz calms the crowd down. Orchestral music fades in the background. A nice soft lull. And for Boaz, it's now time for him to give his final impassioned speech. And these are the last words recorded by Boaz in the book. Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, You are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, of Kilion, and of Malon. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite, widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. It will be maintained. The line will go on. See the problem at the beginning of the book? Is there a possibility of an heir? Are these women going to be left destitute, childless, without hope 
for whatever the remainder of their life is. Is there an heir? And Boaz says, yes, there is, because I will make sure of it. I will do it. And all the people were witnesses to his commitment here. And then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and of Judah. Now that is a stout prayer right there. You know, sometimes you hear people pray and you go, wow, that's, some, that's a heavy prayer. This is a heavy prayer. I mean, Rachel and Leah, you think about that. You talk about a prayer of fertility now between these two. Rachel and Leah are the ones that between the two of them, 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel came from these two ladies here. And then you've got Tamar. Tamar, who's a Canaanite foreigner, whose husband had died, and her concern for an heir to carry on this name led her to, 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 to dress up and to fool her father-in-law, Judah. They had children together, which eventually, from that union, came Boaz. How about that? You talk about, talk about weaving some stuff now. Tell me this all happened by chance. This is a Moabite woman having a prayer prayed over her that just as God was faithful to Rachel and to Leah, just as He was faithful to bring about the twelve tribes of Israel through a foreigner, nonetheless, Tamar, that God would be faithful. He would be just as faithful to this Moabite woman, foreigner, in her home. And then they say, Your name, may your name be famous here in Bethlehem. And the significance of Bethlehem, may it be known through you. And you hold that thought for a little bit. And so Boaz married Ruth. And the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the village women said to Naomi, May the Lord be praised because he has not left you without a guardian today. May he become famous in Israel, this child. He will encourage you and provide for you when you are old. For your daughter-in-law who loves you has given him birth. She is better to you than seven sons. And so now we've seen that the, the Lord, we've seen throughout this the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, kind of hiding in the background. God's been in the shadows every page of this book. But there are two times where the narrator intentionally brings the Lord to the foreground, intentionally brings Him out. Back in chapter 1, when Naomi heard what? What had happened in Bethlehem? The Lord had provided food back in Bethlehem following the famine. We, we heard that. And then here, with what? The Lord in, may the Lord enable Ruth to have children. And what happened? Ruth has a child. What are the two needs that these women had? Food and family. Who provided food? Who provided family? It's God alone who is able to meet the deepest needs of our hearts and our lives. So you think about it. This is Naomi. Naomi who came back to Bethlehem with a Moabite daughter-in-law saying to the women of Bethlehem, i got nothing. 
Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant anymore. You call me morale. You call me bitter. Because now I've, I've lost everything. I've got nothing now. And so now at the end of the book, the women are where? Back at Bethlehem. And the women are looking at Naomi saying, you got it better than the best sons you could have ever imagined. What a turnaround. What a turnaround. And Naomi took this baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. And so now we roll the credits. <laughs> and this is the point where I'm going to check Google and I'm going to see are there any after credit scenes you know how they do those in the movies now? You know, if you go to a movie at the theater, you've got to stay around till the credits are done because you never know if they're going to throw a little something extra in there, a little added scene or maybe a little preview to a sequel or what's coming next. And so uh, during the credits here, M. Night Shalemelon goes, yeah, the neighbor women. The neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed, and he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Did you catch that? Ruth is David's great-grandmother. Did you see that coming? Shocking. This is shocking. It's like, what? God used a Moabite woman as a result of an Israelite who turned his back on the promised land Use her to bring hope to an otherwise hopeless Israelite situation so that we would have the greatest king known to Israel. How about them apples? What a Christmas story! So why has God chosen this story to be preserved for thousands of years? Why do we have this? Why has God chosen this story to be told and shared among the people of God even this day in this assembly today? Why has He chosen this? Is it just for our entertainment? Is it just a nice story? Remember, from the beginning, I tried to express this is a story within a story. As all of Scripture is a story within a story. And you think about the transformation that's happened. The book of Ruth opens with three funerals. The book of Ruth ends with a wedding and a baby. The book of Ruth begins with famine. It ends with fullness. It begins with curse. It ends with blessing. It begins with bitterness. And it ends with happiness. It begins with despair. And it ends with hope. And so this book ends not with a look back at an unbearable past, but rather a look forward. It looks ten generations forward to an unimaginable, unbelievable beautiful, wonderful future. And this future of where the line is going to go. King David. This baby is the ancestor of King David. And this is where we're reminded that Ruth chapter 4 and verse 22 is not the end of the story. See, Matthew actually picks up the family line, the family tree of this story and how David was the father of Solomon and Solomon the father and so on and so on and so on. And in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 16, we read that Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. See, there is a much greater king than King David pointed to in Ruth chapter 4. This line is going to go all the way to King Jesus. 
That's where we're going here. Boaz points us to the day when God in all of His supreme glory and by His grace took on a robe of flesh, human flesh, becoming like us. He was born among us, like us in every way, yet without sin. God was born in human flesh as Jesus the Christ, like us, near us, akin to us, kinsman, redeemer. And as a result, He has the right, having become like us, to redeem us. And it just so happens that in the very next chapter, Matthew chapter 2, it just so happens, wink, wink, that the Roman Empire declares a census will be taken, so everyone must return to their hometown. And it just so happens that Joseph and his fiancée Mary return to their hometown, his hometown, the hometown of Joseph. And it just so happens that his hometown, because he's from the family line of Boaz, his hometown is Bethlehem. And it just so happens that here in Matthew chapter 2, in the city of Ruth chapter 1, which began as a land of famine and a land of judgment against the people of God. This land now becomes a land of blessing that brings the Son of God into this world. And even when we may not understand, even when we may wonder why, we may wonder how things are ever going to be resolved, how is anything ever going to work out for good, your life may look exactly like Ruth chapter 1 where there's little or no hope on the horizon. But you've got to know this, because Scripture unveils this for us, that in every setback we face, God is plotting for the good of His people, those who are called according to His purpose, that even in our pain, God is plotting for our good. And you may say, well, what about sin I've brought upon myself? Well, that's the Gospel. That's the beauty of the Gospel because sin sin starts this whole picture in Ruth chapter 1. Elimelech sinned and turned his back became in, in, a, in, a, in a decision of unfaithfulness to God left the land of God for a land of compromise. And God used that, that sin of Elimelech to bring about His picture of salvation and His hope for His people. This picture within a picture. This story within a story. It's, it's each of us. Each of us is a story, a, a, just a chapter in the greater story of God's working and His redemptive love for humanity. It's our lives. Every day, a God who pursues, a God who protects, a God who provides, a God who adopts, a God who redeems. And it's this God who allows us to swallow the bitter sweetness of life. Because it's He who through His infinite wisdom, through His providential care, who made a way where there seemed to be no way, the way, the truth, the life. It's God Himself who drank from the bittersweet experience of life so that He could be our life. So that He could guide our path towards eternity. See, life is possible of Jesus Christ. Because He was born a baby. That was God's choice. 
He was born just as we enter this world. He entered this world. Just as we trudge through this world, He trudged through this world. Just as He celebrated victories in the lives of others and those He loved, we celebrate victories in our lives and the lives of those we love. And just as we face rejection and we face sickness and we face bittersweet taste, Jesus did too. And just as we will exit this world, drawing our last breath, barring a trumpet sound, so did Jesus Christ. But the difference is He did it for you. And He did it for me. Not because He had to. But didn't He in obedience to God? But He did it because He wanted to. He loves us because He is our kin. He's our kinsman redeemer. And nobody else could do it. Nobody else could do it. And we are destitute. We are hopeless. We are hapless without Him. Yeah, that's a Christmas story. A story for every day of the year. That Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. That because of Him and through Him, we have hope of eternal life. Forgiveness of sin that carries on the family tree of God in eternity. So this morning, what's that taste in your mouth? Is it bittersweet? Because sin will do that. Sin will put a bitter taste in your mouth. And only the sweetness of forgiveness through Jesus Christ can cleanse it. So this morning, what sin have you been holding on to? What sin have you allowed to get a grip on you? God calls you to repent of that. You've got to reject it. Give it up. Give it away. Run from it and run back to God through Jesus Christ. And ask His forgiveness that He is ready to give to you. To cleanse you and make you whole once more. He is your kinsman redeemer. And this morning, if you are not a child of God, if you have not been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are still in famine land. And you will be a land of destitute, a future devoid of any hope. But Jesus came to this earth to bring hope to us. And we live each day in Him and through Him as a sign, a symbol, a promise of that hope, eternal hope. This morning, will you make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and be baptized into Him for the forgiveness of your sins? God is ready to show you what it means to be redeemed. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men, and you are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. You give the healing and grace our hearts always hunger for. Oh, our hearts always 
hunger for, and counselor, comforter, keeper, spirit we long to embrace. You offer hope when our hearts have hopelessly lost our way. Oh, we've hopelessly lost our way. And You are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. You give the healing and grace our hearts always hunger for. Oh, our hearts always hunger.